Coming up on our Chat with Chet, special memories of the Master Manager. Psychology wasn't uh, a big thing back in the late 80s, early 90s, but Puffy was really, really big on it and keeping everybody level-headed. And if people are going through a rough time, make you feel great. And if you think you're getting above your station, it would knock you down a peg or two. Plus the accolade of being named Brian Clough's Player of the Year. Being chosen as the manager's Young Player of the Year was, was a great honour. You know, I didn't win many accolades, to be fair. You know, I just enjoyed what I did and did the best I could. But to be picked out like that was a, was a great thing for me. Marcus, good afternoon to you. It's not a very good afternoon, actually. It's pouring down, but it's nice to see you. I've got my grandchildren. I've got holidays. I've got a garden. I've got lanes to walk down. I've got your lovely smiling face to look at on a Saturday. God forbid. Hello, you're listening to the Green Jumper podcast. I'm Marcus Alton, the editor of the tribute website, brianclough.com. And today, my guest is a cluffy favourite. Steve Chettle played over 500 games for the Reds. Welcome, Steve. It's fantastic that you can join us today. Thank you, Marcus. Pleasure being here. I know Brian used to call Des Walker Desmond, Teddy Sheringham Edward. Did he call you Stephen? No, I didn't get Stephen. Uh, normally, it was just a uh, young man. It was a favourite of obviously just a stereotypical call everybody young man. But uh, young Chettle was another another favourite of his. But listen, it, it didn't really matter what he said to you. Your ears always pricked up when he was in the room uh, and you just answered anything he asked you to be called. So dead simple, Marcus. Whatever he called you, you answered to. You made your debut in 1987, I think it was, away at Chelsea. You, you came on as a as a substitute. Um, what was his instructions? Well, this isn't obviously. I, I came on as a as a young a young player, uh, and I got told to go and play right wing like a centre back. Uh, instructions are really simple. Uh, you know, don't do anything that you're not supposed to do. Like try and take people on and try and be clever get the ball, win the ball, pass it to somebody better in the team, which is probably everybody else is what he used to say to me. You obviously made a great impression and you became a regular in, in the side. But at first you were right back and that wasn't really where you were comfortable, was it? Because you, you're left-footed. Yeah, well, I'm naturally left-footed, uh, strongly left-footed, most people would say. Uh, but Gary Fleming got injured. Uh, there was a, a gap in the, obviously, a back four and... I'd just play anywhere, Marcus, to be fair. I'd, I'd played midfield. I'd played even in goal as a 15-year-old for the Nottingham Forest on the 15s and everything else. So I just played anywhere. But right back came along and I was playing behind Franz Carr or playing behind Calvin Plummer at the time. And it, my role was really simple. I just had to defend and let all the boys who had the attacking player go and do their thing. I was never going to go on overlaps around either of those two because they were way too quick. Uh, but you you did have a bit of an advantage at times, receiving on your left foot and obviously playing the ball inside on a natural left foot. So it did help in certain ways. We just had to get used to the, the start positions from playing at fullback, especially on the wrong side of the pitch, naturally for me. And you then went into, into centre-half, played alongside Des Walker for many years, but you did like to get up and, and score the odd goal, didn't you, as well? Well, I think the odd goal was probably one a year, Mark, because I didn't score a lot of goals. Uh, I, I scored, uh, I remember scoring at Norwich the first game of the season, which made me leading goal scorer for Forest for one year for, for about one match. Uh, but I scored, I scored occasional goals. I went up for all set plays, obviously, and Des was the one that stayed back and played everything up as normal. 
but no, I enjoyed going up front. I enjoyed scoring goals as a kid, uh, but they got few and far between, to be fair. I didn't get many. Number one at the baseball ground against Peter Shilton. Uh, probably one of my favourite ones was the game against Sunderland at home, which was a, a proper goal, shall we say. Not a scruffy goal, a proper goal. Uh, but probably won a season. I think I got three in one season as well, which was the most I got while I was at Forest. Well, as a bit of a surprise, I've got um, a two-page article here from a, a programme back in 1990, December 1990, and it shows you with what's described as Chet's Cracker, and it was the goal against like um, Sunderland. Yes. Yeah, there you go, see? Can you I did see? score one good goal out of all of those. Thanks, Marcus. Appreciate that. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's got a very good description. It, it says you, you have an eye for goal, uh, none more so than when you struck a thunderous 20-yard drive to break the deadlock in the home game against Sunderland last month. And not only that, you, you set up Nigel for the, the second goal as well. Oh, did I really also a goal and an assist? I wish I had a better contract and yeah. got a goal and assist bonus. That'd have been all right. Exactly. It, it says it was a precise pass to Clough to set up the chance. So after a match like that, did, did Cloughy ever say anything to you? No, of course not. No, that wasn't my job. My job was obviously, if we kept a clean sheet, he'd have been happy. He'd have probably knelt down in front of Desert Norval and took his shoes off uh, because Desert's probably been fantastic again. But no, he, listen, it was uh, there wasn't a lot of conversation to be had before games back in the day and there wasn't a lot of conversation afterwards. Uh, he'd normally come in and say, well done, even if we'd lost games where we'd, you know, we'd done what he wanted us to do and done our best, he'd come in and say, well done to us. So on days when... You know, you thought everything in the world had ended, he'd make you feel a little bit better. Uh, and I know they've been involved in games as well where we thought we'd done really well and he'd come in and absolutely tear strips off you. So used to leave you on your toes an awful lot. He liked to keep your feet on the ground so you didn't get carried away, I guess. Was that it? Absolutely not. Well, not just with myself. It was, you know, even the, the, the senior boys like Stuart. I know that Stuart used to go away with England trips. He used to come back and the, the gaffer used to tear strips off him thinking he was a big-time child and everything else. So psychology wasn't... Uh, a big thing back in the late 80s, early 90s. But, you know, Cluffy was really, really big on it and keeping everybody level-headed. And if people are going through a rough time, make you feel great. And if you think you're getting above your station, it, it knock you down a peg or two. We're talking about some goals you scored earlier and, and your testimonial match at the city ground, you scored quite a decisive goal, I remember, because I, I was there that night and um, Mark Crossley had a stint up front uh, at the end. And actually won a penalty which you stepped up to take. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I've seen that. But I should have scored three before that, though, Marcus. Ah. Peggy Arpex had, had an absolute blinder that night in a testimony game against somebody whose testimony it was. So yeah. if it had anything about him, would have let me score at least a hat-trick and get going with the match ball. But I know Norm went up front and Norm was throwing himself left, right and centre. And I think if VAR was around now, it wouldn't have been given, shall we say. No, it was a bit dubious. But when I was watching the match, I was with Martin Fisher, who's now Match of the Day commentator. And I got him to record a little bit of a uh, commentary. Well, a hugely controversial decision there by the referee. Mark Crossley just seemed to go down when no blue shirt of player was near to him. But what an exciting climax this sets up. Steve Chettle, whose testimonial it is to take the penalty in the last minute... Nigel Jemson almost dummies the goalkeeper. This up comes Chettle, shoots and scores. Steve Chettle wraps it up, drives the penalty to the goalkeeper's left, and Forrest have won it in controversial fashion, but in suitable fashion 
with a last-minute penalty scored by the man himself, Steve Chettle. Some great memories there. Some great memories, yeah. I didn't obviously Stuart being there and a lot of great footballers being there. I was never given opportunity to take penalties. Uh, so when they all left and I became captain, uh, even in the Premier League when we got relegated that year, I, I put myself on penalties. And lucky enough, I didn't miss one uh, for Forest. So yeah, really, really fortunate. Yeah, really good. Now thinking back, I think to the eighty-seven, eighty-eight season, you were actually named the managers player of the year and at the presentation dinner at the uh, Commodore International uh, the venue in Nottingham Brian presented you with the award and um, if I just reach down I've got a a photo here of uh, the great man presenting you with that uh, award you must have been absolutely on cloud nine to get Brian Clough player of the year absolutely from being a kid who used to go down and watch with my dad from being you know eight nine years old when they still in the second division, to sat at the back of the Trent end in the UEFA Cup game against Celtic, uh, going to watch, stood in the East Bridgeford end against Liverpool in the European Cup, uh, to even just signing for a Marcus was a dream, really. Uh, making your debut uh, and then being chosen as the manager's young player of the year was was a great honour. You know, I didn't win many accolades, to be fair. You know, I just enjoyed what I did and did the best I could, but to be uh, picked out like that was a, was a great thing for me. I think uh, Nigel was that the Shipstons and Evening Post player of the year. I always thought he coped very well with, with that demand of not only being the, the centre forward, but the manager's son as well, because that must have been very difficult. I'm sure it was. No, Nigel was very quiet, very unassuming, got on with his work. He was our number nine, as the manager used to call him. Uh, scored great goals and was super, super clever the way that he played. He was this kind of false striker that everybody goes on about now. We'd fit right into a Pep Guardiola team, I think, Nigel Clough now with the way that he plays. Yes, yes. Uh, but, but you see some of his traits of his dad now. Is it, you know, he's picked up some great habits and he's doing really well on the managerial front himself now. Definitely, yeah. You you were talking about how much it meant to you to sign for your, your home city club uh, straight from school. And um, I think in 1989, there was a big double-page spread on you as a, you have got some stuff by the way crikey as a red star can you see that this, i can yes this will go on the website along with that other photo as well um it ends with you saying it's a pleasure to be able to play in a back four alongside the likes of des walker Stuart pierce and, and brian laws do you ever think back to those days and just pinch yourself did that really happen and all those Wembley trips absolutely it was a, it was a great time you know we used to go there sometimes twice a year a couple of nice suits and some trophies every year and obviously seeing 90,000 people at the old Wembley stadium was a great occasion but yeah you do pinch yourself I used to travel away in the 21s with Stuart Des Neil Webb Steve Hodge when they were in the England senior team so it was a great time for the football club, but obviously, personally, it was a fantastic time for me. And in 91, you were the only Nottingham-born player in the first-team squad. I mean, that says a lot, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I didn't know that, but it does sound really good. Uh, like I say, I've always been really proud of my upbringing, you know, obviously from just a local comprehensive school in Bullwell to sign at Nottingham Forest when I was 16 and 1985 and to play so many games it's you know it's not something you really think about until you know you're packing playing really and you look back on it and I didn't play 
for some seasons. I missed out on some uh, some games where not being selected and other people came in. There was always somebody who always came in every other year to take my place. Uh, but you had to fight tooth and nail just to remain around the group uh, to keep in the team. And as long as the manager keeps picking you, you're obviously doing something right in his eyes. When you signed for Forest from school, were you just spotted by a, a scout playing for the school or the county? Well, I was at Notts County. I was at Notts County from being 12. Uh, and Alan Hill, who was head of recruitment in Notts County, went across the Trent to Forest. Uh, I was playing for Parkhead, uh, which was like a filter team to, to Forest itself. Uh, but Alan came across from Notts County to Forest and managed to talk myself and my parents. He came around to see us and took me over to Forest and was a, what a great decision in the end. In 1991, that season ended in disappointment to the FA Cup final defeat against Spurs. Could you sense at the time when Paul Gascoigne was stretched off rather than sent off after those reckless challenges that things perhaps weren't going to go Cluffy's way that day? Well, it all started off as if it was going to go Cluffy's way. Uh, obviously, he got stretched off. Stewart scores from the free kick. You think, right, their best player's gone off. Uh, but probably Gascoigne going off was the difference between ourselves winning and losing in the end because I think they would have been playing with 10 men whether he stayed on the pitch or not. Uh, I played with Paul in the under-21s and to say he's slightly excitable is a bit of an understatement. Uh, he was bouncing off the walls in the tunnel. Obviously, he nearly took, took Gary uh, Parker's chest off in the first minute. Obviously, did his own knee and tried to kick Charles's legs off when the free kick happened. But yeah, it, it, in the end, it wasn't a great day. It's a great occasion and something that you can be really proud of that you played in the FA Cup final. But I think... If we'd have won that day, maybe it would have been Brian's time to say, right, I've done that, now I'll step down, as opposed to the the way that it did finish for him. Do you think it could have changed anything if he'd have come out onto the pitch to speak to you and the players before extra time began? Uh, no, not really. Like I said beforehand, he, there wasn't a lot of conversation before games. We didn't really work on opposition. We didn't really work on tactics. You know, it, it was of that opinion that if you can play you can play we had our strengths you stick to what you do and if you're good enough on the day you win the game you know it was unfortunate the way that it ended even when Norm saves a penalty you think maybe it is our year uh, but obviously got the equaliser with Paul Stewart goes into extra time you know, and the rest is history. On a positive note though there, there were some great memories I think you have from the semi-final uh, against West Ham in the, the Villa Park sunshine that day um, a clean sheet as well and a, and a few goals. You must have enjoyed that. Yeah, it was a great day. It was, it was, a, it was a great occasion because you'd got to the promised land of getting to the FA Cup final. Uh, when you look back at, at that era, the FA Cup final is probably still the pinnacle event of each end of season. Uh, obviously, now people take preference on the Premier League and everything else. Uh, but the, the league campaign was number one and the FA Cup was, you know, probably as equal as the number one, really, in a spectacle end of the season. So to get there and to say that I've played an FA Cup final is fantastic. Obviously, I've got a medal. It's not the right medal, but, you know, it's there, it's in history forever that you have participated in the FA Cup final. And the win against West Ham, again, went our way. Tony Gale gets sent off. We played really well, to be fair, on that day. Uh, and we were convincing winners. Now then, earlier I mentioned the testimonial match uh, of yours. March 1999 it was. 
incredible to think it, it was that long ago. Nearly 8,000 fans were there and a lot of big names that night were there for you. And I've got a recording of some of the tributes from those names that, that I'd like to play to you. That The likes of Stuart Pearce, Colin Cooper, Nigel Clough, Gary Bertles. But um, first of all, Frank Clark. Well, Steve is a terrific professional. You know, he's been, uh, I think probably every manager he's played for would tell you the same story. Um, so a player that you can rely on to give a consistent performance week in, week out. Never causes you a problem off the pitch. Does his work, works well. And, and played a, a, you know, a full part in the, build, the building of the team spirit and the running of the team, you know. And uh, over 500 games, I mean, that's a wonderful, wonderful achievement, that. Yeah, as I say, he's been a great servant to the club. I think uh, that's reflected on how many old players want to come down and help him out this evening, you know. He's asked myself and uh, quite a few others to come down and uh, bar one or two have got previous engagements. Everyone's here to help him out and we hope that he's going to have a good evening. People tend to come for a couple of years and leave. Uh, yeah, but he's been here since he left school. As I say, I just hope people come out and recognise that tonight. Yeah, great player, great mate. Um, you know, when uh, when we knew about his testimonial uh, sort of a year, 18 months ago, I think um, nobody really knew what would happen sort of as regards where players would be, but um, I could have been halfway across the other side of the world and I think he knows I'd have been here tonight. Steve, many years ago, he was my apprentice. He used to clean my boots uh, and you wouldn't wish to find a nicer guy in football. There you go. They think a lot... I've never heard that before. Th- no, I've never heard that before. Haven't you? Uh, they think no. a lot of you. Uh, it's really nice words, to be fair. I, you know, I, I still speak to uh, Colin regularly, even though Colin's now in China with the FA. Uh, obviously, I've seen Gary recently because obviously the uh, connection that we've got with Baseford. And but I've always been friends with Gary since, like I say, since he uh, used to do his boots and was very kindly gave me his the stuff that he didn't want anymore. Uh, I see Frank every now and again with Forrest. He's been down for some of the games on the 23. So. Yeah, really nice words. Like I say, it's the first time I heard that, Marcus, so thank you. Uh, no problem. Gary Bertels was at, at the end there. What was it like being his apprentice, a European Cup hero? Could you believe it? Well, back, back in the, the, the good old days, shall we say, mm. uh, in the black and white days where your role as an apprentice was cleaning boots, uh, putting kit out for the first team, taking their kit, putting it in the wash. I was T-boy for the first time. Uh, so when I first went in for the first year, so I made tea every morning. Uh, and that dressing room was tough. Uh, in that dressing room was Ian Bowyer, uh, was Paul Hart, was Gary Bertles. And these people were ruthless. If these things weren't done properly, uh, they would absolutely rip your head off. Uh, but in a, in a sad kind of way, I used to love everything that went with it. I still love cleaning my boots. Uh, I used to really take pride in getting everything out and done properly for the for the first team. Uh, and when I became a pro myself and somebody did my kit, I always made sure that they were looked after properly because I know how much pride the apprentices take in the work and to do things properly. And I still try and have that work ethos now. You mentioned you're still in touch with, with Gary Bertels and you're helping a charity event for him in, in support of his, his wife. It's, it's in aid of the Treetops Hospice. A Nigel Clough team against a team managed by Kevin Keegan. Um, what's all that about? Well, uh, Gary contacted me regarding there was a fundraising page for Treetops. Uh, but as a football club, we said, surely we can do more than that. So... We gained a committee and we spoke to Gary and we spoke to Treetops and said, we'd like to put on a game. 
Uh, and it's absolute snowballed, Mark, to be fair. And some of the names and, like I say, the managers have come down. Nigel Clough and Martin O'Neill's team uh, are taking on Kevin Keegan and Kevin Nolan's team. Uh, so we've got lots of players. Uh, obviously, some have been out already on social media and advertised the game and spoke very kindly about the event itself. So I know if you can't get to the game, you can buy a virtual ticket to contribute towards the uh, charity itself and the hospice. Uh, but it should be a fantastic day. There'll be lots of people who get together for the first time in an awful long time. Uh, I think I'd describe it as fit, uh, not so fit, and guests, shall we say, <laughs> playing in the game. Uh, so there'll be some people who want to play 90 minutes, some people who want to play a part, and some people who just want to a walk-on cameo part, myself included. Yes, I was going to say, will you be putting the uh, the, the boots on and having a... Having a kick around. I'll put the boots on. I'll, I'll get changed, but how much I play, uh, I'm not so sure. I'm struggling with a back problem still. Uh, but there are an awful lot of people who want to participate and I'm sure put on a fine spectacle for all the people who are coming for the day. Yeah, it sounds a fantastic event on June the 27th at uh, Baseford United's ground and uh, details are on the club's website and uh, also on brianclough.com. Um as Baseford's manager, Steve, have you taken any influences from Brian Clough into your management career? Uh, I think I've taken bits of everybody, to be fair, good, bad and indifferent. Uh, I've obviously from the great man himself, who was trying to keep things as simple as possible. Uh, the game can become very complicated and terminology can become very extravagant, but the game has changed slightly, but I don't think it's changed that much. Uh, you know, you if you're in possession of the ball, that team can't score. You have to defend properly, keep a clean sheet. You're not going to lose. Uh, just those old cliches, but trying to keep things as simple as possible and just respecting the players and make sure they respect each other uh, and having a good relationship with the players and speaking to them like human beings. You know, I very rarely lose my head. Uh, occasionally I have for for the right reason. Even when we've been winning games, you know, I've kind of, lost it a little bit because we've not done the things that we're supposed to do. And when we've lost games and we've done really well, I've told them that we've done really well. So probably from that way, really, Marcus, and anything else of speaking to people as human beings and just being respectful to everybody. Yeah, just some of those key principles. And how will you remember, Brian? Uh, as somebody that gave me an opportunity uh, to play football for the football club that I supported as a boy, uh, somebody that helped me through my adolescent years, shall we say, and taught me great values in life about myself, about people that you work with and about strangers, just being respectful to everybody that you're around uh, and just making making sure you respect everybody and making sure you speak to everybody properly and uh, be spoke to like you like to be spoken to. Well, Steve Chettle, thanks for, for joining us and, and sharing those uh, precious memories today. It's It's been really great. Thanks, Marcus. Really enjoyed it. And thanks to you for listening. There are more details about that fundraising event at the Baseford United website, where you can donate online and support an auction of signed memorabilia. I'll speak to you again soon with some more memories of the great man in the green jumper.